Hello, and welcome to episode 91 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, May 26, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. And I wanted to say a special hello to Liam's mommy, who wrote us a nice note on Ravelry and introduced herself. So welcome to her. And how's it going, Courtney? Wow. It's it's a season for sure. We are we wanted to to open with that while we are in the midst of a really celebratory season, it's impossible to ignore the news coming out of Buffalo and out of Uvalde and Orange County. Orange Yeah, it's frustrating to say the least, and heartbreaking, to be completely honest. I, for one, have no problem getting rid of automatic weapons. I just don't think they have any place in our society. You couldn't convince me otherwise if you tried, and I'm pretty open-minded. Right now, my heart is with the parents in all of these locations, and um, and that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, it has been a strange, strange week. We try and be a lighthearted podcast, and we are here to help people relax and enjoy themselves. We're holding both of these things in our hearts and our heads right now. And so, yeah, yeah. we hope this this helps all of you just know escape that for a little bit. Yeah, we are thinking of it, and with that, we have to take a step into programming. As usual. Yes, on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and bingo, because bingo starts tomorrow. And we have some exciting news about prizes, so be sure to stay tuned for that, as well as all the instructions and everything you need to know, which is really not that much, because <laughs> we're all about relaxing and taking it easy. So on the needles, no finished objects this time, but I have been working away. Fear not. I have finished the first of my OMG heel socks for Simon, which is very exciting. I still haven't had him try it on and they always look super giant because he does. I mean, he's has bigger feet than I do, so I'm never quite sure if they fit. But I went ahead and started the second one <laughs> and we'll see what happens. And it occurred to me, the re- part of the reason I do his usually toe up, I generally prefer knitting my socks cuff down because it feels faster. But I know like how long I want mine and I'm always going to have enough yarn to get two socks for me out of one skein. Um, But I've been getting a lot of 50 gram skeins. So you get one sock out of that. Um, So for him, I like to make sure that I have enough yarn. So I knit them toe up so that it's, it's easier to figure out when to start doing the cuff rather than when you need to start doing the toe. Or, you know, because you've got the leg, you can just do the leg as long as you want and then finish it off. Whereas you're going the other way, you don't know how long you can make the leg. So I did the first one cuff, sorry, excuse me, toe up. Um, But then I figured now I have, it's striping, self-striping yarn. So now I know how many stripes are in my leg or his leg. (laughs) So I'm doing it cuff down. I was very proud of myself for thinking of that. And the pattern, it's the OMG heel socks pattern by Megan Williams. And she has written it for both directions. So we will see if he notices any differences. And I may still have to re-knit the, <laughs> the first one, but 
you know. That's kind of cool. We'll make it work. Yeah. So I'm excited about that because I <laughs> I have a graduation this weekend. So I imagine there will be some knitting time during the three-hour ceremony. Three hours? Ours was really fast. Oh, nice. Ours was like an hour and 20. Oh, my gosh. That would be great. Yeah. I don't know. They told us three hours. Ay, ay, ay. We'll see. I have also been working away on my Rocket Tea by Tannis Lavely, neighborhood fiber company Rustic Fingering in 1 First Street Northeast and Loft in Upton. So the fingering is a intense blue and the mohair silk lace is a black. So it's got texture and colored stripes and I am maybe halfway done with the body. I think if I've I've been counting my stripes. And right after I split for the sleeves, I was feeling kind of frustrated with it. It's nice because it's just stockinette and then there's a little bit of lace detailing up along the sides. So that's fun. So you do have to pay, you know, just a smidge of attention and it just makes things a little bit interesting. But working with the mohair lace on its own, it's really grabby. If you <laughs> and mess- you, were, you were concerned about this when you bought the... Or at least when you bought the mohair at Stitches, you were concerned about working with it. Yes. Despite that it's a trending fiber. Yes. So it it was it was a little bit easier to work with when you when I was holding it with the fingering, but these are kept separate. So you're just it's knitting onto itself. And it's fuzzy and you get little rings of fiber causing trouble and then it sticks to the other one. I've been carrying the the yarn the yarn that I'm not using up the inside. So it's just a whole thing. And if you mess up trying to undo it is just a nightmare. So it is not without its struggles. But I'm at a point now where I can see what the garment is going to look like. I feel like I am making progress. And I have this vision of myself wearing it with some black dress pants to the symphony. I'm very excited. So I am sort of motivated to finish it. And I feel like I'm going to be okay on yarn. There seems to be a decent amount left. I haven't actually weighed it. But I think it's going to work out okay. So I'm very excited about that. And that's just a simple t-shirt. It's got a v-neck, some little sleeves. So I will have to go make sure that I have enough for the sleeves as well. Though I guess theoretically I could just bind them off and not worry about it too much. So yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that one. And then I had forgotten that there was a new mystery gnome knit along coming up. Oh, yes. That so I think guy. it's, yeah. So it started right after the last time we recorded, I think. And I was having, I think that was the weekend I was traveling. So I didn't get to start it right away, which was fine. And then today we just got the second to last clue. The last clue comes out Sunday, which is great. Although I'm going to have to wait till Monday to finish it because Monday is when the Downseller Studios splash pad party starts. So if I finish the gnome on the Monday, then I can make it count for that. And then maybe I will win fabulous prizes. But mostly it'll just be fun. It's called Make Gnome Mistake. It's by Sarah Shira, Imagine Landscapes. And it is the ninth mystery gnome along, which is very exciting. So I went into my leftovers stash and found some yarn. I'm using a bright pink and a white and a dark blue. And it's really cute. I think, yes. Okay, so it, since it will, all, all the clues will be out and the whole thing will be revealed by the time this comes out, I can say that the hat has a mushroom on it <gasps> in color work. It is a 
adorable. He's so cute. The beard has two colors, which is really fun. As most beards do. I guess that's true. I mean, mine is white and pink, so I'm not sure that most (laughs) beards are that color, at least not naturally, but that's really fun. Oh, I need to dig out the beads. Some people put beads on their beard, which looked really adorable, so I think I might... I should have some pink beads somewhere. So I need to sit down and do that. This clue has some more color work on the body. So that should be fun. So hopefully I'll work on that this afternoon. And it's just, it's really cute. I need to bring the stuffing upstairs as well. And then, yeah, I'm just, you know, thinking about what other things I want to make. I think I am, I think I will be over the t-shirt thing for the moment. I have quite a few real size sweaters, you know, full pullovers that I want to start working on. I do still have my my fancy, crazy patchwork cardigan that I want to get started, but that is also mohair. I think I might need a mohair break and do some like just solid worsted weight yarn or something that I can just, you know, zip through. But it's been going well. I've been doing a lot of reading, so maybe not so much knitting. But yeah, but I've been trying to sit down and at least get one stripe done on the tee just to make sure I keep going. And it's so it's been working, working pretty well and just continuing along. Great. How about you? Well, I haven't knitted, but I did put together a blouse that I wore to graduation. I had a a lilac linen suit and had been searching for something to wear underneath of it. And I wanted something with kind of a high collar. And Pattern Scout released a great blouse that has like a ruffled collar and a v-neck with a little tie closure on it and I just as soon as I saw it I instantly wanted to make it and I had fabric on hand although talk about yarn chicken with the fabric it was really tight the pattern calls for two and a half yards I had two and I made it work wow And I love the blouse. It is adorable. It And the collar is incredible. The collar, I want to make it in some solids because I can't wear this all the time. It's pretty crazy. It's super fun, though. It's really fun. It's definitely a statement piece. And it worked with the lilacs. Well, it would work with many, many other options. The fabric is Moda Kiamesha by Crystal Manning. I forget the name of the print, but I'll put it in the notes. It's a wild, gorgeous floral with pineapples and pinks and yellows and oranges. Not anything I would normally gravitate towards, but I think on the whole, it's it's just really fun. The background is kind of a charcoal gray, so it really would work with a dark pair of pants too. I think that the real selling point is it's just super soft. It's a rayon fabric, so not staticky, washes really easily, doesn't need a ton of ironing, just I'm totally sold on it. The pattern is called the Poppy Blouse from Pattern Scout. It's a raglan sleeve with this kind of like high ruffled collar, tie closure. The V-neck is you know, obviously adjustable and it has nice stitching like down the front of the bodice. The sleeve is, what would you call this if it comes here? Bracelet length or? Three quarters. Three, like a three quarter. Bracelet would be more like. Just shorter than the wrist. Yeah. Okay. That would Um, be my interpretation. I think it's, it's definitely more of a three quarter, not elasticated. It's just a 
a gathered sleeve with a really wide cuff. It's very forgiving on the arm. Some people find those blouses to be tight on the sleeve, but I wore it all graduation day under my suit jacket. And then back at the house, I prepped food in it and just felt really comfortable and breezy. And it was very festive. It's like my new favorite blouse. And I wore it to a birthday gathering the other night. So I've already worn it twice. Ah, that's huge for me. Yeah, no, it's great. I think you could wear it in a lot of different situations as well. Yeah, like you it could, could dress be totally it up casual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has completely rejuvenated my sewing confidence, and that feels really good, although I haven't had time to do much else because we're closing up the construction. We are Ooh. finishing the mess at our house, and to prove it, I installed wallpaper. <laughs> Ooh, oh, was that in the downstairs? No, no I did it in my bathroom. There was a little wall that's like part shower tile, and then there's the wall, and it continues, and the loo is right there, if you will. And I just wanted like a focal point on that wall. So it's not a huge area, but it's my inaugural wallpaper venture. I really wanted to draw my own. But timing was not on my side and the the toilet bowl was going to be installed. And I was like scrambling to just make a decision and get the wallpaper here so that I could install because I don't think there there cannot be anything more difficult than installing wallpaper behind a toilet bowl or a radiator or something like that. So I since I had been looking at Spoonflower to make my own wallpaper and didn't get that off the ground, I went back to them because there was this wallpaper I was obsessed with called Heron and Plants by Nina Leth. And it's these kind of seaweedy looking grasses and fronds and leafy things. And then this beautiful heron. So I installed it one night, like as the sun was setting And I love it so much. And nobody wants a picture of my toilet bowl, I'm sure. But I'm like super tempted because it looks so pretty. (laughs) Not the toilet bowl, the wallpaper. Um, So I'm really proud of myself because I've never done that before. And it felt kind of scary, like a gigantic commitment. It is technically removable wallpaper. And I officially mangled three of the four corners for sure. But from a distance, you can't tell because I'm really good with paper and glue. And I just kind of cut it and patched it in a way that you can't you can't tell. I mean, no one's really going to be checking that closely. No, I know I it's say. there. Yeah. But I'm also I also feel like I did this thing. That's <laughs> awesome. Know. I'm really thrilled with it. And it looks really cute. She has a picture open on her phone. Yeah. And it looks amazing. I'll, I can put a link in, in ca- just in case people are curious about it. I also felt like it was way easier to install than I thought it was going to be. Because I was only really installing two rolls, you could do it with a paint tray and a paint clean paint roller with some water. And just roll it on the back of the paper and then let it bake or whatever. And then I hung it and I had one of my kids help me hang it. 
So gigantic success. Uh, there were, you know, a little, the corners were hiccups and, but I got the seam bang on. There is now a heron standing on my toilet bowl. So I'm pretty happy with the placement too. Perfect. That could be a good artsy shot if you can, so you don't see the whole thing, just like. Yeah. The back of the bowl and yeah, yeah the burn. And then on the easel. I finally got my way back into the studio and painted a combined dog portrait for a friend of ours who had a birthday. I had been given, I think, about 36 images <laughs> to work from. Just did their the dog heads, their faces. It took me a little bit of work to make it happen because I have I'm really out of practice. And I know I've talked about this before. It's something that should be a daily practice for me. And when I miss more than a couple days, it's definitely harder to get back into the groove. So knowing that, I was making myself draw the dogs and sort of decide on composition. And then I really took my time trying to figure out the color tones for each dog. One dog is black, and it's really hard to capture black fur. A lot of the portraits that I received of of her were out at the beach. And so she had kind of a blue cast from the sky. And so that's the highlighting on the black dog. And then the warm grayish brown dog. It's really hard to get the contours. I just took my time with it and I'm really happy with how they turned out. And now I feel like most of my friends with pets have a pet portrait. Yeah, we I have one. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'm a pet portrait is portrait portraitist portrait artist every now and again it's it's so fun and i think i think it resembled the dogs yeah so definitely it didn't hurt to put their little name tags on or their they're different colors colors i think the resemblance is strong enough so it's a little less stressful than human portraiture Uh, but people are we like our you pets. You really love your pets. Yes. And I wanted to honor that. And she, I think she was surprised and it was it was really She was showing it off. I mean, she was Yeah, it was a worthwhile exercise and I'm really glad I did it. Cool. So on the table, I went to Rancho Gordo. Field trip. <laughs> Field trip. So I was up in Napa with my mom and my sister for a girls weekend and we'd been walking around downtown and I thought I think Rancho Gordo is up here. And I looked and it was just like a five minute drive for down from downtown. I was like, can we stop by? So we did. And apparently my sister actually likes beans as well. I don't think she's quite as obsessed as I am, but everyone was, you know, willing to go. And we were it was just a relaxed weekend, so we had time. So we went by and it's a small little retail store, but they had several bean options and all their cookbooks. So I got the new vegetarian cookbook. This is the second volume. So I got that one, and then I got some hot sauce. Uh, they had all these different hot sauces, and um, that's fun. So yeah, because are my... they? Is it Rancho Gordo hot sauce, or do they just have a collection? I think this one was theirs, but they're they're like smaller producers. It's not like you know something you could get at Safeway or or whatever. And then I got an elderflower shrub, which is so good elderflower elderberry something i don't know anyway it's delicious it's shrub yeah so it's did you plant it oh sorry no uh like the liquor it's not liquor liquid so you it's like vinegar and fruit 
and things and you can mix it with it's so it's really sharp and flavorful and they use like bitters yes but you use a good pour of it Mm. so you would use it in cocktails or i've just been mixing it with some tonic so it feels like a cocktail because it's got so much flavor and sharpness but it's not so it's delicious i've been doing that with orange bitters in a little bit of seltzer water and ice or something yeah so the same idea and then i i had made a rhubarb one in the past so and i think you can like you could probably really just use apple cider vinegar in a in a drink as well similar idea so that was fun and then i did get a couple of beans but i knew i had my second bean club delivery coming soon so i didn't i didn't go too crazy there but it was so exciting to see like so many options and they had just restocked on the royal coronas i believe so it was just delightful. So then I did do some actual cooking as well. I did go on a little bit of a cauliflower tear. I'm not sure what's going on with that, but I keep choosing recipes that feature cauliflower, but cauliflower is good. So the first one was from Cook 90 and you roast cauliflower and cherry tomatoes and then mix them with pasta and pesto. And it was delicious. Yum. They're not fully oven dried tomatoes. They're more just cooked in the oven. So they kind of get juicy and burst. And I love them that way. That's my favorite. And roasted cauliflower is delicious on its own. So it was, it was good. And I put that, I think I put it with the cascatelli. So that was delicious. I'm out. I have to order more. Um, And I haven't, we have to try. I need to pick up some of the Trader Joe's version yes. so that we can compare it. Yes, you do. And then my other cauliflower recipe is a Mediterranean cauliflower salad with crispy chickpeas and miso dressing from The Wimpy Vegetarian. We reviewed her cookbook several years ago now. Still producing excellent recipes. So again, you roast the cauliflower and you roast the chickpeas and you mix them with sun-dried tomatoes and garlic and then a miso dressing. So it's this so much umami flavoring going on and you top it with olives. So again, <laughs> and feta cheese. So it's, it's a warm salad, but it's a main dish. I serve chicken on the side and salad for those that wanted either of those. And that worked out really well. And we still have actually, we do, we still have a bunch left over. So I know what I'm having for lunch today because it was really good. Yeah. And it was plenty hearty and it's got the crispy chickpeas in there. So lots of nice contrasts. And then you do have the the sharp. Yeah. mm -hmm. Then you have the sharpness of the sun-dried tomatoes to kind of cut through a lot of it. So that was that was great. And I had the sun-dried tomatoes left over from something else. So I was very excited to. The Tuesday nights, the Christopher Kimball calls for a lot of sun-dried tomatoes. That's what they're in. That's Uh, why they're lingering in my cupboard. Got it. Well, this this could be a good one. And then I made a marbled raspberry pound cake from Smitten Kitchen. I just hadn't done any desserts in a while, and so I, I wanted to find something. And she had this really cute cake. So it's it's pound cake, it's marbled, it's raspberry instead of chocolate. Delicious. The way she did it, she did it in like a giant round donut-shaped cake pan. And her glaze was a raspberry glaze. It turned out very smooth, like donut frosting, and she put sprinkles, and it was super cute. So mine was not quite so attractive, my glaze, because I didn't strain out the seeds from my raspberries for the glaze. But the cake itself was really good. The, you use the fresh raspberries, you smush them up and mix them into half the batter and then marble it through. And it was really raspberry-y. 
can I can I make that a word? So the contrast was really delicious. And you rub in the lemon zest in the sugar before you start. So it's got that extra little hit of flavor. It turned out really delicious. Yum. Very exciting. And you gave me the sneak peek spoiler that she has a new cookbook coming out in oh, the fall. Oh, yeah, in the fall. I think around Thanksgiving. So, I'm so late excited. November. Yeah, that's going to be good. Very exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of been going back through my recipes of hers lately. So I've got some more of those that I'll be testing out and whatnot. How about you? Well, our graduation was last weekend. And it was all the things last week leading up to it. So let's just say that I did not do much novel cooking. And I was doing a lot of party prep and wallpapering and sewing. But Anyhow, I did make some seared ahi tacos. Uh Uh-huh. They were super easy, and they were really delicious, and we had them two nights in a row. I really thought they would plow through. I have one kid who does not care for ahi, so we were one man down, and so stretching it over two nights wasn't impossible. The marinade was... I'm forgetting everything about it, but I have a link to the, <laughs> to the uh, recipe. It was only like a 15-minute marinade because there was some citrus in it, and if you leave it too long, it starts to kind of cook the fish. And then I just seared it, put it in to soft tortillas with a little shredded cabbage slaw, and I used that same old go-to avocado jalapeno crema from half Bay Harvest that I love and put it right on it. They were so great. I can't say enough good things. And if ahi weren't a million dollars a pound, Mm -hmm. it would become a more regular meal in my house. But it is super pricey. And then I had to throw a party. And it has been two and a half years since I had to throw anything. Oh, that's true. We did have the added chaos. So the kitchen was back in working order. Yeah, because I painted it leading up to the party painted the kitchen, took off all of the protective floor covering in our downstairs portion of the house. The upstairs is still a hot mess. Cleaned like a complete maniac. I basically was in go mode for all of last week. And I was so tired the day after graduation. I didn't really do anything special or new for graduation. I just didn't have the bandwidth to try out new recipes. My tried and true things were the artichoke dip, which is super artichoke-y that everybody loves. And it has a little bit of mayonnaise and sour cream and shredded cheese, but tons of artichoke. And it's just really flavorful. Our grad wanted lumpia, which I do not make from scratch. That is a Filipino specialty that we get from a shop down the hill. So we had lumpia and we had the buffalo chicken roll that I usually make for the Super Bowl that my kids absolutely love. I only make it once a year. Yeah. but And you didn't make it for the Super Bowl, did you? For this year? No, because yeah. I ended up doing something. I went to Monterey or something yeah. or Carmel. And so, yeah. So they were owed it. He, he, Yeah, he felt that that would be a good plan. And I did make the dough from scratch for that. I made it I made it the day before. So it was all ready for me in the fridge. And, and instead of making that like finicky ring, like the Super Bowl, I just did it in sort of more like a stromboli or a log. 
and that made it a lot easier. And I think I will do that in the future because it was a lot easier to slice and portion. Yeah. And what else did we have? Lots of other snacky things, gigantic fruit platter and homemade chocolate chip cookies. Of course. Of course. So pretty simple on the party prep, but it was still like, how do I... I had to like remember where all of my platters and bowls were and then wash everything because mm. construction dust. It wasn't like hopping back on a bike again. It definitely <laughs> took a little bit of, okay, what do I need to do? Back to the basics. And I think I forgot several things. But we have a graduate, like successful high school graduate. Very exciting. So, whew. Yes, I am. I am super close. Today was his last day of school. And and he was sick all last week with the flu, which was weird, but good. I mean, not good, but good that it wasn't COVID. Exactly. But not fun. The flu is not fun. And people are like, COVID is the flu. Like, I don't I don't want him anybody to have either because it was not fun. But yeah, so we will actually make it to graduation, though, I think. So that's exciting. I am planning a meal that I might throw in a new salad or something, but otherwise it's going to be things that I know and can prep in advance and all those good things. But we'll hopefully, hopefully that'll work out. However, it, all of the party prep stuff and, and being out of practice is what ignited a couple squares on the, on this year's bingo board. Because I feel like if I work on a recipe, you know, test it in the summertime for friends or or just us, and then I have it in the repertoire, it is easier to roll it out for an event. It's a good time to try something new. And and my husband was like, maybe you could do some ultimate dessert thing again this summer. So that's, that's we can blame him for that square. Okay. Sounds, oh, that one, yeah. The epic. Yes, I did see that. That will fit nicely with my goal of making three Great British Bake Off recipes because I still have two to go. Yes. (laughs) So, okay. But before we talk bingo on the nightstand, I actually have quite a nice variety this time. It is not all fantasy sci-fi, so you can be excited about that. There is fantasy sci-fi, of course. But okay, so the first one is No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. She is, I believe, primarily known as a poet and memoirist. And that definitely came through in this book. So it's a little bit hard to figure out how to describe this book or summarize it because it's kind of weird. We read this for book club. We had a really great discussion. And I think that would be a good way to jump into it if you're looking for something interesting. So anyway, the first part of it is a woman who was internet famous because she had a tweet that went viral. The first part is an interior monologue, her her meditation on the internet, which she calls the portal and modern life and how she's connecting with people online and, and how that all works. And then she gets a text from her mom, something has happened, you need to come home. And it's a complete shift for the second half of the book. It's still that kind of interior monologue, but something has happened with her sister's pregnancy and it is pretty dramatic and just shifts her whole focus to what's going on with her family and real life. And so then she starts thinking about that. And a lot of it is based on, I guess, her actual sister's experiences. I ended up liking it. A lot of people found it difficult to read. It is kind of 
really short paragraphs. It's almost like reading a blog or a series of tweets or, you know, some kind of other post. There's not a lot of plot, so there's it's hard to kind of grab onto, but there are some really amazing, beautiful written moments. And I think that's where the poetry comes through. I feel like that's what that's what poets do is they capture a moment and and she definitely does that in several several instances. So it's kind of a weird book, but overall I'm I'm glad I read it. And I don't know that it's something if you said, hey, what's a book I should read, that this is what would come to mind if someone was looking for a good book club book or asked me, should I read this book? I would say yes. So then a couple of mysteries. First, White Nights by Anne Cleves, which I listened to. And it is the second in the Shetland murder mystery series of hers. I talked about the first one fairly recently. So with this one, they're, they're back on Shetland, or I guess still on Shetland. And there is uh, an art launch party at a gallery. And this guy shows up and starts crying. And he says he has amnesia and he doesn't know why he's there and he can't remember. And the next morning he is found hanged in a boat shed nearby. But it looks like it's murder. And so the detective has to investigate because, you know, that's what happens in a murder mystery book. I like this one a little bit more than the first one. So that was good. So I'll probably actually I know I'm continuing with the series because I'm currently listening to the third one. But it's interesting. It's it's in a little bit different part of Shetland. So you get to see the different communities and same the third one is on a different island. And so you, you are getting a lot of information about local culture and, you know, plus a, a murder mystery. So then we have Hideout by Louise Luna. And this is the third in her Alice Vega series, which is they're they're a little bit darker than than some of the the books that I read. Really intense and kind of gritty. Her heroine or her detective is Alice Vega. She generally works with missing persons, a lot of bail skips, and then it allows her to kind of take missing children cases. But this one is neither of those. Uh, a there was a football star. At Berkeley, he was the kicker in the 80s. And during the big game, the big game, which is Cal versus uh, Berkeley versus Stanford, it's tied. It's the last few seconds. He's come out to kick the ball and make a field goal and Berkeley will win. Instead, he grabs the ball, runs the wrong way down the field and out of the stadium and disappears and hasn't been seen in 30 years. There's been a couple of sightings a few years later, but basically no one has seen him. So it's one of those great sports mysteries and all these things. So it is now now and the husband of the football player's girlfriend at the time does that make sense yeah she was dating the she was dating the guy the runner yeah and now she's and married then, to someone else sure because he, he ran yeah because he wasn't there anymore so can't marry him he has hired alice to try and find the guy why like, finally just uh you know closure finally get it out of the way he just did fun yeah and they're in San Francisco, so that was kind of fun. The last sighting of him was in Oregon, this little town in Oregon. And so she goes up there. There's white supremacists as well. So she's looking for the guy. She's hunting the white supremacists. It's a little bit of a weird plot, but Alice is such a cool character. And then there's another detective who had been she'd been working with in the other two books. And he's not in this one as much, but he does appear. He's at home in Pennsylvania and he shows up for a bit. This one had less child endangerment, which was nice. It's all you know, grown-ups being in danger, which is preferable. Preferable, But yeah, I really like her writing style. And Alice is a very, she's a tough cookie, but she's 
really interesting. She can read people really well, even though she's not terribly emotional herself. But then there's, you know, the possible relationship with this other guy. And so lots of fun stuff in that book. And that's Hideout by Louise Luna. And then the delightful romance to be totally different. Uh, the Wedding Season by Katie Birchall. This is the second book of hers that I've read. And if you like weddings, and I like weddings, then you will like these books and romance. So Freya Scott is about to get married. It's the day before her wedding. And her boyfriend of 12 years dumps her. So she's a little bit upset. But she's, you know, determined to, to get on with her life. But one of the problems is she has seven more weddings in the next six months because she's at that age where all you do is go to weddings of your friends. So her best friends decide to help her get through because a lot, of, a couple of these weddings, the ex is going to be there and just, you know, weddings in general are going to be emotional for her. So they give her tasks that she has to do at each wedding. So it'll give her something else to think about besides whatever she is feeling. So of course, she meets a cute guy as well. And they have a really bad first encounter, but he keeps being at all the weddings and they start to become friends. Um, and then she's trying to do these crazy tasks. Like the first one is for the first wedding is to be the last one on the dance floor. And she usually never dances. It's just not her thing. She's a very kind of reserved person and, and doesn't dance a lot. And so they're like, you have to be the last person on the dance floor. And so it just, it's things to kind of get her out of herself and get her back out of there. It's really adorable. She has a lot of fun family relationships and her relationships with her friends are really, really nice. And she has some excellent scenes where she gets to, to talk back to the ex and, and they all there's a scene where they all end up dumping wine on him at a restaurant that's fantastic. And it was just a really sweet, fun romance. And I really, really enjoyed that one. Super quick read. The Wedding Season by Katie Birchall. All right. Fantasy books. Uh, Gallant by V.E. Schwab, who is the Addie LaRue writer. This one is young adult. I don't think there would necessarily be crossover in terms of if you liked Addie LaRue that you would definitely like this one. Anyway, Olivia Pryor grew up in an orphanage and then she's 16 and gets a letter. Oh, we've been looking for you, my niece. Please come home. And they send a car and she goes to this home. It's a creepy old house, family secrets, mysteries. It's not super creepy, but it's a little bit it's definitely got it's more gothic i guess than like scary and creepy yeah so the house family secrets she shows up and, and everyone who's there is like yeah we didn't ask you to come so who invited her and what's going on and it was good and it had it had drawings so that was kind of nice and the, the shape of the book was a weird size so that was kind of cool what do you mean uh like it, those tall thin ones no it was like short and square oh yeah and really and quite thick so interesting in many ways, probably not my mostest favorite of her books, but lots of good things. And then Blackwater Sister by Zen Cho, who also I realized after I'd read it that I had read a bunch of her books, but they were Regency romances with magic. So I was not fully expecting it to be the same author because this is modern. Jess, her family is from Malaysia, but she grew up in the US and her parents are now moving back there. And she is just out of college and things aren't going well. And her dad was sick for a while. So she decides to go back with them and ends up being haunted by her grandmother, who was an avatar for a goddess who now needs help protecting her temple. And she's chosen Jess to help out. And Jess has some family secrets of her own and never knew her grandmother. And why is that? We've got gangsters involved. So it was a little more. Wow. 
adventure and real but it was it was it was a good kind of mystery and family dynamics and there was a lot of and then just the the Malaysian culture and the mm. the gods and the way they relate to them and the magic that was involved was a fun read as well. And then Spear by Nicola Griffith, which is a retelling of the Percival legend of King Arthur. I don't know if it's fame. <laughs> King Arthur is famous. I don't know if, if many people know the Percival legend, but Holy Grail, that kind of thing. But in this one, Percival or Periter in this book is a young girl and she's raised by her mother in Wales in a secret valley and they are kind of hidden by her mother's magic. But she sees the some of the King Arthur's companions and decides that's what she wants to do. So she ends up getting armor and a horse and training and then follows them to Camelot and tries to become one of the companions. And it works in the Grail legend in some interesting ways. And I really like her writing style. I've read a big honkin' historical fiction book by her that took place in more or less the same time, which is, I want to say, like, 4th or 5th century England, so post-Roman occupation. And so she had done a lot of the research. So the in that book, it was very much felt like really in, in the time and place. This one, you get the historical accuracy without it feeling historical. It's more... It's more of a legend, right? Because it's a, it's the Arthur myth. So very interesting. And that was a nice short one. It was only, it was less than 200 pages. So that was pretty cool. And then The Anomaly by Hervé Letelier, translated by Adriana Hunter. There's an airplane flying from Paris to New York in March. And they go through a bunch of turbulence right before they land. But it all works out fine. It's really bad turbulence. They land. People go about their lives. And you are getting like six or seven passengers viewpoints and what happens to them after the flight lands and the pilot and some other things. And then people in black suits start appearing and rounding up the passengers. And it turns out that it is now June and the exact same plane with the exact same people on it has landed or attempted to land again. Like it just appeared over the, off the coast. And so they take it to an Air Force base and people are trying to figure out what's going on because like they check the DNA and it's all, so it's all very weird. The people's stories are really interesting. So now there's like two copies of these people. That's crazy. It's super crazy. And then one of the passengers is an author. And while he's waiting at the Air Force Base, he starts writing a book about passengers on an airplane that, that land and what happens to their lives. And can he have all these different viewpoints? Uh, so we've got a little bit of meta in there. It's a weird ending. It was, I, I really liked it. I blasted through it. It's super strange and it's kind of, you know. And it's a novel in translation. Yes. Which. Check. <laughs> I'm doing really well this year. You are. I am. So how was the, what are you noticing about the novels in translation? This one was really good. And actually that author also does translation. Mm. So that was interesting. This one, this one, I, f I didn't feel like it was in translation. And I think that's got a that's the key. Like if you don't notice, there's definitely been some where I couldn't tell if it was just the writing style I didn't like, or maybe it is the translation. And ones where I've been like, oh wow, that was that's a very you know American English turn of phrase. That's some really cool translation. Yeah, right. Sometimes I like it. the The cadences mm -hmm. contributes True. to the plot or the characters, you know, like some of the Scandinavian ones I'm thinking of and, and anything that is Japanese, like 
Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that I can feel a little bit of a difference in those translations, but I love that that you are doing this and pursuing it, and it's fun. It's yeah. fun to hear about what you're reading. This one just was just translated recently, so I really enjoyed that one. And again, not a terribly long book. But yeah, but lots of characters, lots of jumping around and, and a really slow beginning. Like if you didn't, if you hadn't read the summary, you would not know what was going on. And it would, it would be kind of confusing, I think, but it, good. And then the mystery kind of builds and builds and you, as you're jumping around and, and what's going on and, and uh, yeah. And then you've got the two different people and like, what does it mean to be yourself when this person like has all the same memories as you and is it real? Is it's it's you, right? So lots of good things to think about. And then finally, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I love this book. It is huge. It is huge. It's pretty big. And yet I just could not put it down. My one complaint about it is that the cover is that kind of graphic, kind of cartoony design that they do on a lot of modern romances. And that is not what this book is. And I think they're trying to sell it as like a summary beach read. And it's really, there's a lot of intensity in this book that kind of threw me off at first because it was not how it was presented. But then once I was like, okay, that's not what it is. It's something different. Really got into it. So Elizabeth Zott, it is the late 50s and she is a chemist or she's trying to be because it is the late 50s, so it is difficult. But she gets her master's, has to drop out of her PhD program because her advisor sexually assaults her and she gets kicked out. But she does get a job and she is doing some work and eventually meets this other scientist who respects her for her brain and they fall in love. Then he dies and leaves her with a kid and she ends up on a TV cooking show because cooking is chemistry. And it's it's kind of back and forth about their relationship and they have all these family secrets, less secrets than just past that also kind of helps draw them together. And then she's raising her daughter. And so there's a lot of women's rights and you know women in science and being taken seriously. And she ends up changing a lot of people's lives, including her own. And there's just these really beautiful found family and real family. And it was just, it was a really beautiful book. It was, it was definitely tough in places, but you were rooting for her. And it, I just, I really enjoyed it a lot. Plus, you know, cooking. So I peeked at the cover while, when you were starting your review of this book and from what you're explaining about it, it's definitely something I would want to read. But when I look at the cover, I see exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's like kind of it, like, um, where did you go, Bernadette? Like, that's yeah, kind of may- what I feel like it's being presented as. And it's really not. I mean, mm. there there is a little bit of humor, but it's more of a drama. Yeah. And a serious, serious book. So there's a dog, too, who's adorable. And you get the the dog is one of the narrators for a while. And it's just it's really it's sweet and tough and so i think i gave it five stars because i just wow yeah and it's like just couldn't stop reading it all right enough about me and my books okay i have three books for you today two nonfiction. Ooh, i know so weird and continuing with the not light uh theme i read under the banner of heaven by john krakauer the uh, subtitle is A Story of Violent Faith, and it is 
That's an older book, right? It is a little bit older. It's basically a history of Mormonism sort of tied to a recent fundamental murder that took place. Fundamentalist LDS sect. And what's interesting, John Krakauer's style is that he weaves together the story with how we got there. And I don't, I didn't know anything about Mormonism or the history of it outside of the absolute minimal skeleton. So I don't know their sacred places across the U.S., how when John Smith came across and the battles that were waged along the way, like actual battles. I didn't know any of that. So I really learned a lot about the history of the faith and then also consequently learned about the rise of the fundamentalist sect. And chiefly in that branch is polygamy, which no, I just, I can't even play along with that side of it. It's it's a really difficult read because there are so many glaring, alarming things about it, especially with the fundamentalist side, that it just kind of makes me angry for the women on behalf of the women in this religion that, at least in the fundamentalist sect, completely discounts them. They're just property. And that was heartbreaking to read about. And it doesn't, I think in a way he's trying to explain the religious calling that these men who committed the murder, that was their defense, was that it was a religious calling. But it was hard to go there. It was hard to go along with it. I think it was an important read because Mormonism is a huge religion in America and it it has a tremendous following. And I wanted to be able to understand it in a, in a more meaningful way. But I think this book is maybe not the right book because it does highlight the fundamentalist side of things. That's Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. And then I read Life List, A Woman's Quest for the World's Most Amazing Birds. Nice. So this is a book about Phoebe Snetsinger, and this is a biography by Olivia Gen- Gentile. I had tried to get my hands on Phoebe's autobiography, which is called Birding on Borrowed Time. I think it must be out of print. I can't get my hands on it. The library doesn't have it, and I haven't been able to buy a secondhand copy yet, but I'm trying because I really want to read her own her own story. However, Olivia's story is really a gorgeous, she's really done her homework. She's interviewed all of Phoebe's family and she's gone through many of Phoebe's papers. And Phoebe's net singer, I think I talked about this before, how I was looking into her. I, I was fascinated because she's a really well-known woman in the birding community and she lived a typical 1950s housewife existence. Even though she was well-educated, she stayed home with her kids and that that's what was expected of her. And she did come from some means. So she had some family money on her side. When she was late 40s, early 50s, she was diagnosed with melanoma and given a very short life expectancy. And so she decided that she was going to spend what time was left 
birding, doing what she really loved. And she was really good at building community around birding. And so lo and behold, she survived her melanoma and lived well into her 80s, I think. Ultimately died in a car accident while birding in Madagascar in her 80s. Oh, wow. I know. Incredible story. So she was the, the first person to reach the 8,500 species bird count and keeping a bird list. There are about 10,000 species now. She died in, I think, the 90s. I'm terrible with dates today. I love reading about bird people. And I have to say, I feel myself contemplating keeping a bird list which shows you that I may be approaching the deep end on this topic. <laughs> we'll see. I, I think this is a great read. It's a really modern take. It is sensitive to her role in her early life and her education. And, and I think her family was really generous with the author and giving them fragments of Phoebe's story, too. So, life list. And then I read The Family Chow. Which, oh, did you? Uh-huh, which is by Lan Samantha Chang. And this is fiction. And it is, it's been heralded as a, a modern take on the Brothers Karamazov. Oh. It's been forever since I've read the Brothers Karamazov. Yeah, I don't think I've ever re read it. I did not realize that was... Yeah, I mean, it... it the thing. Both deal with complex brothers and patricide so um i really kind of want to revisit it and see but anyway let me tell you about this trio of brothers this book is a romp it's getting tremendous reviews and then terrible reviews so oh, some people love it some people do not i loved it i loved it it really landed with me so this family of chinese immigrants have set up their family in Haven, Wisconsin. So it's maybe not the most diverse place for them to set up shop, but they open this Chinese restaurant and everyone in the community loves the restaurant. They get they have a, a strong business. The mother is really beloved in the community. The father, not so much. They have three sons who are varying degrees of success. Dagu is the oldest and he had plans, but he comes home and is like the dutiful son and helps with the restaurant and is the head chef there. The middle brother, Ming, is I think in he's like a, it's finance. Yeah. In New York. Very successful. And then the youngest brother, James, the naming is really interesting to me. Dagu, Ming, and James. I don't know enough about the background there, but like yeah. James is a really American name. Dagu is his nickname, I think. And Ming yeah. is not I can't remember. Americanized at all. Yeah. So anyhow, I'm sure there's lots of unpacking to do. James is still in college, right? Yes. And then there are the women in their lives, and they all play different roles. So early on in the book, there's contention. And the the father dies and all three of the brothers feel guilt around his death for for a variety of reasons and really i i'm always so careful to not spoil it for people because i think part of the joy of this story is that you 
things are revealed that maybe point a direction, a different direction. And it's left pretty open-ended, which is where many people had a problem with it. And I feel like that open-endedness is a reflection of the complexity, is a reflection of the immigrant community, is, I don't know, I think it it's powerful that it's left open-ended. Yeah, I liked it, but I always like a little ambiguity in my yes. my books, so. Yeah, I felt like the writing is so strong and so funny. The structure of it makes me want to revisit the Brothers Karamazov. Did you like the Christmas feast? Holy catfish. <laughs> yeah. No. What? The food descriptions were great. The food descriptions throughout. Thank you for reminding me of that. I didn't make make note of it, but it does make me want to go find a cookable, a home cook Chinese cookbook. And I know that they aren't Korean, but I still want to go to H Mart. It just reminds me that oh, I need to yeah. go to H Mart. So yeah, the food descriptions were amazing, but the Christmas dinner is problematic in that oh, regard. Yes. No, I just meant for the food. <laughs> oh my gosh. Add it to your list. I think it's a really interesting, complex family mystery romp. If that can yeah, be, no, I it agree. Is kind of a romp. It is a bit of a romp. Yeah. I love that word. Yeah. It's a good word. <laughs> so those are my books. Excellent. Great variety there. All right. Bingo. Yay. It starts tomorrow. Friday evening, May 27th, which will be a few days previous when you finally hear this. Uh, and it goes through Monday, September 5th, which is Labor Day here in the U.S. Get a copy of our bingo card with some exciting new squares. It will live on the story bar of our Instagram, our Craft Cook Read Repeat Instagram page. So if you look in the upper left-hand circle... It will be there and you can screenshot it and then edit it at will in your phone. If you would like a printable copy, contact us. Either on Instagram or Ravelry or email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Or if you know us, just hit us up wherever we'll and we'll get it to you. Yes, but we do need uh, an actual email address to send you the PDF. And to enter... You finish a row or a column or a diagonal and post a photo of that on Instagram with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2022, or there is a Ravelry thread in our group. Um, if you are able to go to Ravelry, you can post it on there as well, and you can use that for chatting about whatever. And so that's the requirement. We love seeing posts that are just what you've been working on, squares that you finished, things that you're doing, but those are not required. Although we have, someone has offered us prizes to add to the prize pack. Jennifer Lasson Designs is offering, we have three patterns to play with. So there'll definitely be one in the grand prize pack, which is always filled with delightful things. And then I think we're going to do a participation prize this time. So anybody who posts or chats in the RAV group or, you know, uses the hashtag will be in line to win these one are, of these. These are knitting patterns. Yes, sorry. These are knitting patterns. And the link will be in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, she, I've done several of her patterns. They're super fun. They're really well written. And there is a variety of items 
Um, and I think she has some crochet ones as well, because I know she does crochet. So there's shawls, there's hats, there's mitts, I think, there's drink cozies. So all sorts of fun things. So definitely check that out. So the bingo card is designed as it has been in years past. You can achieve a bingo by strictly by reading, strictly by cooking, or strictly by making all of those coming out of the center axis there. Or you can mix it up and go for a blackout or a, a row with a mix of, of making options. And a blackout will get you a second entry into the grand prize drawing. There are several new squares this year. We really refreshed it. I had some great suggestions about reading a book in translation or, oh, the um, classic or banned book. Mm -hmm. And then we, we've always had a cook local. And so I've extended that to making and reading too. So maybe you can find a pattern or materials from your region or find a an author from your region or a book that's set there. So there are several other new squares in addition to those. And we hope that it will give your summer a little bit of fun structure, something to aim for, or maybe even just a week of it or two. I don't know, whatever works best for you. Yep. And we are pretty loosey goosey as far as what works. So if you think it works it and you works. can tell a story about why it works, then it works. We're not we're not super concerned with rules. <laughs> you know, it's it's summer, at least up here. So it's supposed to be fun and enjoyable and, you know, maybe win some fun prizes. Yeah. So thank you to Boston Jen for donating those patterns. Yeah, thank you. And until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.